0: Hello and welcome to Dragon Bites, the paediatric podcast aimed at paediatric trainees and anyone interested in child health. I'm Asim, one of the paediatric trainees here in Wales and one of the presenters for Dragon Bites. This week we're going to be discussing reflective models. I was joined by fellow Dragon Bites host Rebecca Jones and the two of us had a chat with Dr. Pramod Vallabhaneni, one of the medical education leads in Wales for paediatrics all about different reflective models. Following our last discussion on reflective models, we were contacted by a number of trainees who informed us that they hadn't really been taught different reflective models that they could use. So over the next two episodes, we're going to cover three of the more well-known ones, and hopefully that should help those of you who haven't had a chance to learn about these before. Anyway, let's get started. Hi, everyone. So, hopefully, we're going to carry on our series about reflection uh, this week. I've been joined again uh, by our fantastic Dr. Pramod Vallabhaneni. Hello, Pramod. Hi, Awesome. Hi. Um, And we're also here with fellow Dragon Bites host, Rev Jones.
1: Hi.
0: Hi. Um, So, um, uh, some of the feedback that we got in the run up to the reflection podcast that we did not too long ago, and after that podcast, in fact, was that a number of trainees had highlighted how they'd Never really been taught how to reflect, um, and I thought it'd be really useful to um, to discuss a couple of reflective models that trainees could use. But before we get around to that, I thought it'd be useful to hear about everyone's experiences around reflection, what they think about reflective practice. Promote from a from a sort of uh, someone who's been doing this for a really long time. What are your personal feelings towards you? Know, what, why we should be reflecting and um, you know your thoughts around what you expect from from reflections when you see them, because you probably see more than the rest of
2: us. Thanks, Asim. And I think you make a very good point about why we should reflect. And what, I think if you look at fundamentally, historically, when it all started, I think it goes back right to people who were doing some psychological analysis and trying to teach human beings how to think. So reflection in medical education only came. Perhaps, or as a trainee, I can think it was post-MMC, 2010, 2011, when the early word of reflection start coming down, you know, the medical education pathway. But what what I, when I read reflections, what, or somebody asked me, why should we reflect? Because there's been a bit of um, resistance to reflect. So why, what I often say, and I think Gibbs made a really good statement about this, and what he says, quote-unquote, to Gibbs It is not sufficient to have an experience in order to learn. Without reflecting on this experience, it may quickly be forgotten or its learning potential lost. So we are reflecting and we are writing down our actions and learning from it, not just for that momentary portfolio tick box, but that in your formative years, that when you look back at it, you're taking those experiences. But then also perhaps learning from it, and then refining it again. If I were to give an example of reflection to uh, if you take an analogy of baking, you follow a recipe and you do it once, but then you perhaps think, okay, there's some area of improvement. So you reflect on it and then you go back and you do it again the next time you get better, but you're learning from that previous experience. So if I were to summarize that opening statement, reflection is all about learning which is a continuous process. And when you take real-life examples into academia or professional life, it needs a little bit of refinement in terms of the way you write it down. But what you're experiencing is fundamentally the emotions, the analysis, and then let's not talk pyramids in reflection, but you're going to the top end of the pyramid where you're synthesizing and again, you know, you're reflecting all over again.
0: That's great, thank you, Pramod. Um, and then Reb. So, I mean, you've been doing pediatrics for for actually a lot longer. You've just started as an ST1 now in ped officially, but you've been doing peds for a while. Now that you're onto the training program, you know what what does reflective practice mean to you, um, and how how do you incorporate it in your in your training?
1: So, I realised like when we were when I agreed, well, not agreed, um. When you asked if I'd like to join in on this podcast with you guys, I was like, I don't actually, I use reflection every day in not just my professional life, but in personal life. But I actually don't think about the models and I don't have a, didn't have a clear understanding of the different models that were there. So if I think back to how I've used reflection before, as a student, it was just, probably a tick box exercise that I wanted to do better at. Um, but it was more almost storytelling rather than true reflection. If I think back, I think about the things that I saw and I would write it down and it would be a way for me to like process what I saw. And But generally it was something quite emotional and I would use that to process, but probably not do it properly. Whereas now I think it's not just the difficult things that reflect on it's the everyday things and that's what I've realized is more important particularly since starting as a trainee but even in the last year or so of doing um outside of training pediatrics is that it's you need to have a process and I'm obviously still learning we're all still learning where something happens be it a big thing, a patient dies or something that you need to reflect, you, you know, a crash call that you really need to pick at, understand, work out what went well, because otherwise you'll go home and think, oh, I did everything wrong there, versus those just working as a team and trying to check in on a colleague who you think is struggling and reflecting on that as a, um, as a experience so that every day you can develop, not just from the really high-end stuff, but the stuff that's gonna make up 90% of your workload. Does that make sense? I don't know if I've just waffled there.
0: No, that was really helpful, right? But I think you you touched upon some really important things there that reflections don't just have to be about the negative experiences or the worst things that we come across, but actually it's, a, it's a, an informative practice with a lot of aspects of our training, you know, tra- colleague support, the way we teach, the way we do research, um, the way we lead a team. There's so much, so many aspects of what we do that we can reflect on. And I think that that's it's really helpful to hear it from that perspective. And it's it's interesting to hear how, as a student, because I think I was the same as a student, that you used it largely as a tick box exercise. It was something that had to be done. Um, but it, hopefully, I think our attitudes towards it change as we go through training. Um, Pramod, I noticed that you were nodding along quite enthusiastically to a lot of what Reb had to say there. Did you have any any um, additional thoughts that you went to, to, to add in?
2: As, as Reb was saying, you see, reflection is is a daily process, isn't it? And, and it doesn't have to be a small learning experience. It doesn't have to be a big learning experience. The, the whole fundamental there is, has it helped you to learn? And I think we also got to realize that reflection, when it was, or when it came into medical education or when it was thrown at medical education, I call it, because I think teachers were the first active societal influences on reflection. But there's not only, um, as they say, that teaching medicine, but there's also some social work approach to reflective practice. And if you think about And I think Reb used the word emotions there. Our most primitive part of the brain controls our emotions. Yeah, you must have heard about the amygdala hijack and all of those uh, evolving theories. But now you see, when you're reflecting, you initially reflect from that emotive face. But if you don't take time and go away from that emotive face to your higher order thinking, which is from your neocortex, which is we are human beings, supposedly, um, but then... That's the reason why those models come into play, because it's taking you away from those feelings and emotions, and it is taking you to the next level of, you know, okay, now what are you going to do next? But if we all stayed in the emotive phase of reflection, perhaps we wouldn't learn. But, and, and just to give an example, if if you're in recess and there's something happening in front of you, and you shouted at someone, it probably was unintentional, but you said it and you did it that way. Perhaps when you reflect on the whole, you know, experience of it, you may have done it things differently. And this whole models of debriefing So reflection is everywhere. And actually, it's quite a challenge. If anybody is listening to our podcast, which I know most uh, majority of people across the world are, just take a moment and see where all you can find reflection in your day to day life. I think you'll find it everywhere, right from speaking to a kid or for you doing the most complex thing in the hospital. So my take home on, on Reb's point there was reflection is equivalent to learning. This is a continuous process. And you can pick that process wherever you go in a timeline.
1: I think. Um, sorry, Asim. I think I, the when you were saying that, Pramod was, I definitely. I think since, since doing trying to do portfolio and trying to get better at reflection, I've. It's definitely been much more important to maybe you know start writing a reflection or make some notes, and then not, you know, go to sleep is like the most extreme, go to bed and wake up and look at it tomorrow. Or, you know, go have five, have a cup of tea, relax from the emotional side of things and then come back to it because there have been times where I will write something because something's really upset me or something's really um, affected me. And then you go away from it and you come back and you look at the words that you've written and you go did I really feel like that? Is that really what I was thinking? Because I can do better than that or we can do better than that. So that just that experience in itself highlights just how important it is for us to reflect, even if it, I know you spoke about it on the previous podcast, but even if it can feel like a chore, those moments are what reminds you that it's important is when you go back and look, did I really feel like that? And I can do so much better than that than last time, if that makes sense.
0: Absolutely does. Th- thank you, Reb. Now, uh, honestly, I could uh, I could thoroughly continue with this discussion for ages. <laughs> I always find it fascinating to hear everyone's opinions about reflection and reflective practice. But for the sake of our listeners, who I think will, um, probably want us to crack on and give them the models they were hoping for, we might take we might come back to this discussion afterwards. So. Um, so we'll start with a couple of models. So I think we'll each present one of them, and this will hopefully give some listeners a bit of a toolkit that they can use in the future. So Promote, do you mind kicking us off um, with our first model?
2: Thank you, Asim. Awesome. So w- when I look at reflection, and if you put a historical timeline to reflection, and my apologies to any German listeners for this pronunciation of Schoen, Um Schoen comes into mind as the earliest practitioner who gave us a model for reflection. And I think this was in 1983. But was his model based on somebody else's psychological model? People say, yes, there was a person um, called, I think it was John Dewey, an American psychologist who had brought a lot of these principles into place. But I think the first book, which I think most libraries do have, is The Reflective Practitioner written by Sean in 1983. And what he talks about is reflection as an event before it happened, during an event, after an event. So now if I have to use a modern day example, and I'm a bit obsessed with football, so I'll start with football and then get into medical education. So if you're a football manager, you're managing a team, you plan, okay, I'm going to get my team to play a certain way. So that is reflection before an experience. Whilst the team is playing the football match, you realize as a manager, this is not really working well. And you change the formation, you change the instructions. And then after the match, again, you analyze what happened overall. So just to summarize that, before an experience, during an experience, and then after an experience. Now, if you use that in medical education, let's say if you were going to do a lumbar puncture and you've never done a lumbar puncture before as a pediatric trainee, or in fact, any discipline, you prepare for the lumbar puncture. You're analyzing, okay, what do do I think might happen before I do this LP? What do I need to know? What anatomy landmark should I be preparing? What might be the challenges? So you're preparing before that experience of doing a lumbar puncture. Now you're doing the lumbar puncture. This is happening. This is right there in front of you. And you're seeing the patient in front of you and the challenges that are coming up. What is happening as you're making those rapid decisions? Is somebody holding the child well? Is your patient in position? Is it working? Do you think you've got enough in front of you? in terms of help and support and the kit? And then how are you dealing with those challenges? Are you getting way too emotional? Are you getting restless? Are you getting anxious? So all these experiences that are happening, but then you're also thinking, is there anything I should say now? If somebody is not holding the baby well, so you're reflecting during an experience. And then finally, after you've completed the procedure, was it successful? If so, yes, what contributed to the success of it? These sound a bit basic, isn't it? What what you go through in a day-to-day experience. But Sean put about also challenges. Okay, if it was successful, what could you do better the next time if you were to do it? If it wasn't successful, what was the reason behind it? But then what did you value the most during that procedure? And there's another example you can put it in medical education with this model is simulation. So reflection, actually, if you look at it, is a form of experiential learning. So if we say simulation is experiential learning, you can say, OK, what is going well during this recess? What am I experiencing? And then when you do the debrief, you're saying what could have done well. So Sean put this model, which kind of became the starting point of reflective models of Reflection before, during, after a learning process. But I think what he underlined, perhaps, or emphasized on the point is learning. So, back to our original point that no matter what model you're using, reflection is for learning. And actually, this model is quite a practical model, isn't it? Sometimes when you're speaking to somebody, you're reflecting in action. Oh, my tone is not right here. I need to. Oh, I said something, their body language has changed. So you're reflecting in action. If you don't reflect in action, I think perhaps that could be because of um, many reasons. On the day, you may not be yourself and, you know, your own emotions, the space, the environment. But I think it's a very fundamental key concept. Reflection in action, reflection on action. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Promotes. That's really helpful. Um, and, and a really useful illustrative example there with football. I think that helps a lot put things into, into context. And I, I agree. I think there's a lot about reflection in action that, that I think some of the other models still, even though Shown's one of the older oldest models, I think a lot of the newer models actually miss that aspect out. And there's a lot of after the event analysis. So it all seems to focus more on, what Shon would refer to as reflection after action, you know? Um, so it's, it's interesting how to hear Shon's, Shon actually saw it in distinct subsets, whereas actually reflective practice now has sort of shifted to thinking back on things rather than thinking during things.
2: And if I just may add to that point, i'm sorry for cutting you through there. And, and reflection, you see, the models of reflection, I always think are useful to see the continuum of how it started, what model started. And, and you're absolutely right in saying somewhere in this process, we've missed that reflection in action point, which I think, and all of these models are fundamentally dealing with the psychology of our emotions and learning. So, yeah, just wanted to add that. Thank you.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. So what I was going to move on to next, so we've got one model there for our um, trainees to to use. I I was going to talk a little bit about um, Rolf's model, which is uh, the what, so what, now what. So this one, this is a bit more of a a, a slightly more model to modern toolkit. I think it's a turn of the century model um, that, that it's, and it has that feeling of a sort of turn of the century model as well where everything's been a bit sounds very simplified so as it makes things as straightforward as possible for people to use um so the way that this model works is first with a descriptive analysis of the event you want to talk about so that's your what so what was it that happened what were you doing at the time what 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 are the ins and outs of the details of the event Um, and then your next bit is an event analysis why are you taught why have you brought this up what's the importance of this event so what were you feeling at the time what were you thinking afterwards what what's the relevance of this what what is it that you want to reflect upon about this was it that something that could have been done better or something that went really well there um and then the final segment of the model is now what so now that you've discussed this model, what's your plan going forward? You know, at the end, this is where your learning points come through. I suppose you know you've 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 had had an event happen. You've reflected upon why this is important. Now you need plan plans going forward that are going to reflect a change because of what you've discussed. So it's quite a, I, what I like about this approach is it is very simplified. I think it's a kind of tool that you could use in a in a sort of practical manner. Um, but you all you kind of need to know about what you're meant to be putting in each section beforehand. Um, and it does perhaps a little bit overemphasize the what. I think the description of, of an event is almost unnecessary because all your learning parts come from your reflection, really, more than the description of the event. I think it's a common pitfall that a lot of... Um, trainees and medical students fall into is they focus way too much on describing the event. And I think one of the downsides of, of um, Rolf's approach is it doesn't it doesn't highlight the fact that perhaps that isn't where your emphasis should be. Um, which we you know we'll we'll talk a little bit about more about this in, in a bit. So I thought the way I would um, highlight is it, as I, I wrote a brief reflection um, using this model. Um, I ho- and if it takes too long, I'm just going to cut this out, by the way. So, um, so this is, this is um, using Rolf's model now. So if we go with what, uh, so this is my reflection here. So not too long ago, one of our Dragon DragonBytes team ran into a bit of a personal crisis at work. I suppose the details of the crisis at the time don't particularly matter, but they were really upset over it. Um, I'd sent a few words of support personally, but not long after I got a private message from another team member... What if we sent them a care package it was a fantastic idea the person organized everything amongst the dragon bites team and sent it to the member in crisis um so what is the analysis of the event so it was wonderful to see how quick this team member reacted to support someone else one member had recognized another in crisis and quickly stepped in to offer the little support we could Both the person in crisis and the person who thought up the care package were relatively new team members at the time. So it wasn't the case that they had a long standing friendship that had led to this act. Um, to this action. It was a wonderful moment that made me really happy to be working alongside this group of people and looking back on it now I think it represents a microcosm of why the team as a whole works together so well. The team don't just view each other as um, people who work together on a podcast, but as colleagues, maybe even as friends, with the podcast being an almost pleasant side effect of a supportive relationship where we discuss other aspects of our lives. Um, And then now what? So looking forward, I suppose the key thing is figuring out how I can nurture a similar sort of team spirit with my clinical colleagues. Certainly the best posts I've ever had during training had been ones with teams which functioned much like this. Sure that we'd, uh, we'd been there to do a job together, but everyone on the team went out of their way to support each other above and beyond their clinical duties. The question is, how can I contribute to making the clinical work environment similar to the one I have with the Dragon Bites team? Saying this out loud sounds really cold and calculating, which isn't what I want either. I suppose these sorts of things need to happen organically to make them authentic. There's nothing worse than being around people try to force these sorts of relationships because it stinks of insincerity. It's tempting to think that these sorts of things are all down to fate. Either you end up on a team like this or you don't. But there must be things that I can do myself personally to authenticate. Uh, to foster this kind of uh, authentic camaraderie, I suspect it needs a sort of emotional buy-in from all team members, but I've got no c- uh, control over that. But I can work on myself. So I guess the first thing is to be supportive of my colleagues, to make them feel like I can be someone they rely on when they're struggling with things. The next thing is to allow myself to be open and honest when I'm having difficulties. Um, the kind of com- this kind of communication is important because it first ensures. Others know where I am mentally, so they can account for this in their practice. Secondly, it helps model good behavior in other team members. I'd much rather they let me know if they're struggling and if they see me do the same, they're more likely to do that. And finally, hopefully it builds a relationship of mutual support. There are probably lots of other things that I can do that I have done already with the Dragon Bikes team that can help build this type of a team relationship some things happen so naturally that it's hard to pick up out precisely why things turned out the way they did and i think that's what happened with dragon bites still i think i've made a start about thinking about how i can foster these relationships and hopefully that's something so that's that i think that's that's how i've tried to model that uh, a reflection around that and it's a reflection around the positive experience as well which is Nice, I think a lot of people only reflect on, on the negative, and I think it's nice to reflect about the positive also. Um, well, I'm sure we'll be talking a little bit afterwards about our thoughts around these models, but I didn't know if Promote or Rev had any, any thoughts they'd want to throw in at this stage.
1: Um, I just thought the this model, obviously, like we're all saying, there's flaws in all of the models that exist and different things work for different people. But the thing I enjoy about this model is that if you're trying to process a situation and be that a positive one or a negative one, and you just don't know where to start, this what, so what, and what now model, it it's really easy to pick up. So you could be feeling like you just really don't want to, write anything you don't want to reflect but it's a really simple starting point and I'm sure we'll come to this at the end but just using something to get started doesn't mean that later you can't then apply it in a different model but this one's a really easy one to get you going and get the ball rolling Um, and that's what I really enjoy about it.
0: That's really helpful thank you Reb Uh, and Promote. did you did you want to add in anything there?
2: Thank you, Asim. I, I was um, critically analyzing your line of reasoning as you were reading that uh, reflection. What I say with this very useful model, and it's a practical model, it's a day-to-day, you know, modern reflective model. What I often challenge um, anybody using this model is to use the two-three-four principle. So as you rightly pointed out, we perhaps expand a bit too much on description of the event, which actually should be in two lines. Yeah. The next stage, and, and now I'm not counting the number of lines that you Um The next part of it should be in a, perhaps three or four lines, actually three, I would say, and then the next part in four. Why, why are we saying we should, we should have a balance between a personal reflective portfolio note versus the academia part of reflection? You'll agree with me. No, all, many degrees are using reflective writing as an assessment model. So once we are clear with that differentiation that, okay, I'm using this reflection for this reason, but what happens when you're reflecting from a personal perspective in an academic model is you lose the critical analysis and the synthesis and application to a further reasoning model. So as long as you've got that line of reasoning or that chain of thought, which is consistent, because I don't know if this has happened with you, sometimes you start off with one end and then you reflecting on like all the emotions are gushing through. And that's where I think we, we lose a bit of control in terms of um, whichever model you use. But I think there you gave a very good example of using a day-to-day incident and, but also seeing the growth and the future application part of it. And again, there was all learning as you were reading that out. Thank you.
0: Oh, th- thanks, promote. I didn't know where you were going there. I was like, oh god, he's going to criticize <laughs> criticize my my reflection immediately. But thank thank you,
2: Fab. Um, um, can I just say, you you can never critique somebody's reflection. The, that is my personal viewpoint because you you felt fundamentally at that point that you you had to reflect that way. But then, if that reflective writing becomes for marking, you see the academic tone to it perhaps changes yeah Mm. so unless it's an academic assessment you cannot critique somebody's reflection is my mantra yeah
0: which is fair enough absolutely and that seems like a good place to leave this episode join us again next week for the second half of our discussion thank you for listening to dragon bites